Our scripture this morning is found in Hosea. We'll be looking at chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Hosea 12, verses 1 through 14. <coughs> this morning we're going to be talking about a, an old-fashioned concept. It's a concept in the Bible that's as old as the Bible itself, and that is the title of our sermon. It is repentance. Because God calls on us to repent and to return to Him. See, beloved, there, there can't be that joy. There can't be that faithfulness they just sung about until there has been repentance. There has to be repentance. Hosea chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, and in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand. Ephraim feeds on wind and pursues the east wind continually. He multiplies lies and violence. Moreover, he makes a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord also has a dispute with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. Even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. Therefore, return to your God. Observe kindness and justice and wait for your God continually. A merchant in whose hands are false balances. He loves to oppress. And Ephraim said, Surely I have become rich. I have found wealth for myself in all my labors, and they will find in me no iniquity which would be sin. But I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt. I will make you live in tents again, as in the days of the appointed festival. I have also spoken to the prophets, and I gave numerous visions, and through the prophets I gave parables. Is there iniquity in Gilead? Surely they are worthless. In Gilgal they sacrifice bulls. Yes, their altars are like the stone heaps beside the furrows of the field. Now Jacob fled to the land of Aram, and Israel worked for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. But by a prophet the Lord brought Israel from Egypt, and by a prophet he was kept. Ephraim has provoked to bitter anger, so the Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and bring back his reproach to him. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. And God, we just ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds as you illumine the heart and mind of Hosea when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word. God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. We offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have seen in our study of Hosea that, that what Hosea has been used by God to say up through chapter 11 dealt primarily with disobedience and judgment. God is saying, you know, you're not paying attention. You're not doing what I have called you to do. And, and, and we see, I mean, God is getting very specific in, in chapter 12 uh, th- th- this morning. But we saw in chapter 11 that there was a turn. There was a turn to divine compassion. 
Do you understand, beloved, that God's judgment is never the last word unless we insist that it be? God's judgment is always tempered with God's mercy. God would much prefer that we accept His mercy than endure His judgment. Now, throughout this chapter, we see that God is bringing Jacob up. We're also, we saw, excuse me, toward the end of the chapter, in verse 13, where he says, by, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. And that prophet is Moses. And so we're going to be looking at Jacob and Moses this morning. Primarily Jacob. And Jacob, we see a man of, of, of contradictions, don't we? I mean, we see this man that, that, that the entire nation takes its name from. And when we look at Jacob, it's a little bit too close to home for us, doesn't he? Because we as Christians are, are an awful lot like Jacob in our dealings with other people and in the way that we deal with God. But there was something fundamentally right about Jacob. The thing that was fundamentally right about Jacob was that he had a longing to know God. You know, pick your Old Testament saint, whoever it is. David. We know David's problems. We know David's sins. We know everything that David did. But we also know as the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after thee, O God. David had a longing for God. Jacob had a longing to know God. Now, you know the story. I mean, you know. goes all the way back to their birth. I mean, they come out and... And, and, and he's grabbing the heel of his, of his brother, of his older brother. And you know how things worked back then in the, in, in the way things would have been done? When Isaac died, the inheritance would have been split two-thirds Esau, one-third Jacob. Jacob, Jacob didn't like that. He wanted something else. He wanted a different deal. He wanted a different... How, how many of y'all ever go to God and try to negotiate terms with Him? God, if you'll do this, I can't speak for my other two Marine brothers, but I tell you what, when we first picked up our drill instructors, or they picked us up, okay, I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? I'm not going to make it out of this. I am not going to live. I am going to die in San Diego, California. Okay? And, and so I made a deal with God. I did. I, I, I took that Gideon's New Testament that they gave to all of the recruits. And you know what? I, I did the stupidest thing. I started reading that thing. You know? I started reading it. You know, there's some good stuff in the New Testament. You ought to read it sometime. You know? 
And then I said, God, if you will get me out of this, I will be the best Christian you have ever seen in your life. <laughs> Tried to make a deal with God. And you know what? I've told you I didn't keep my end of the bargain. I, I most certainly did not, but God was faithful. God was faithful. Oh, my goodness, God was faithful to get me through that. But anyway, Jacob, you know, he goes to his brother and says, you know, I tell you what, I, 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 I'll give you... I'll give you what you want if you give me what I want. And do you see what he's trying to do? He was trying to go make an in run around God. Hello? He's trying to make an in run around God. How many times do we do that? Oh, my goodness. God, would you do X, Y, and Z? And, and we're, we know full well that if God doesn't move on our timetable, we're going to try to make it happen our way. In our time. And that's what we know Jacob, uh, you know, Jacob for. But he wasn't quite the saint that he was going to become. In the midst of all of these experiences, Hosea tells us that Jacob became a spiritual giant. What kind of a, a spiritual giant did he become? Throughout the Old Testament, when God talks about His people, how does He refer to Him? He says, I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Jacob. Here was this man that was such an amazing sinner, that was such an amazing uh, one, that, that uh, an amazing schemer. In fact, you know, you know, over in, in Cock County, when... When you were telling me something that, that was just couldn't couldn't hardly believe it, we would say, "Oh, you tell me a Harry. You tell me a Harry." And 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 in in ancient Israel, if someone called you a heel catcher, then they were saying that you were a deceiver, that you were someone that was out for yourself. Now. You might think after all that God had written down about Jacob, you know, all of his sin and all of the time that Jacob tried to do things his way in his time, that God would be embarrassed to even admit that he was a member of God's church. And yet God says, I love this man. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of of Jacob. What a magnificent statement of the sovereign mercy and the grace of God. Now, how did all of that come about? It came about from repentance. It came about from repentance. And you see, beloved, repentance simply means that we turn away from trying to do things our way and in our time, and we do things God's way. We turn to Him. You see, walking toward the Lord means believing Him and living righteously as He commands in His Word. Verse 1. Now, how many of y'all have ever tried to feed on the wind? I read this article this week. It talked about what's the biggest animal on the planet. And, and it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever read about the blue whale. Is the 
is the largest animal on the planet. And talks about how many tons of shrimp that that animal eats per day. Per day. And it just swims around, you know, it, it, it's what we would call a gaper. You know what a gaper is? You're going, okay, when you see something that you can't believe. Well, a blue whale is a gaper. It, it swims through the ocean with its mouth open. And it'll swim into a school of krill or a school of small fish and just get them. And then it's got a special bladder that allows it to swallow without swallowing the water that was... That, that, that's in its mouth with, with all of those fish. But, you know, there's nothing that really flies. There's a few, you know, but, but there's no birds that act the same way. They don't fly through the air with their mouth open. They don't open their mouth until they're almost upon their prey. And so what God is saying is that they're feeding on the wind. How many of y'all would like to have a wind sandwich after, after worship this morning? Okay. There ain't nothing there. God is saying you're trying to feed on something that will never sustain you. And you pursue the east wind continually. You know, around here, we know that if we got wind coming from a certain direction and we got moisture coming up through the, the valley between the plateau and the mountains, you better go to town and get some bread and milk. All right? Because it's going to snow. In that part of the world, the, the east wind was a violent, injurious wind. And, and, and what God is saying is that you are pursuing something that's going to hurt you. And, and you think, you know, Hosea has come in here, and, and, and you're smart enough to be able to read the tea leaves. And know that Assyria to, to your, 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 your west and your north is a major world power. And Egypt to your south is a world power. And you're caught in between them. And so you're trying to play uh, the, the ends against the middle. And you're going to Assyria and you're making a covenant with them. And you're taking gifts to Egypt. And you think that God is not going to come in. That Assyria and Egypt are going to be able to protect you from the judgment of God. There is nothing on this earth. There is no covenant that you can make. There is no amount of gift that you can give that is going to protect us from the judgment of God when God says it's time. You see, only God can satisfy the desires and the longings of our heart. Only God can satisfy that. If you're doing anything else, then you're feeding on the wind. If you are trying to find your satisfaction in anything other than God, if you are trying to find your security and peace in anything other than God, you are feeding on the wind. Remember what Jesus said to us in, in Matthew 11? Come to me, all you heart weary and heavy laden. Do I need to take, take roll this morning? Okay. Can I get a witness? Are we not all weary and heavy laden? This old world will wear you out. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. You know, beloved, you may uh, sit around and, and everybody think you're the most chill person on the face of the planet. 
while your soul is in turmoil. Jesus said that he is the only way that you will ever find rest for your soul. If you are chasing the wind, Jesus is the only solution because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. John 15, 11, Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you so that, get this, get this right, my joy, that's the joy of Jesus may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You understand? You're never going to find joy apart from Jesus. You ne- Listen, I know Christmas time is coming up, and you're going to see a lot of ads both in print and on the radio and on the television and on the Internet, and they're going to try to convince you that you can buy something at their store that will give you or somebody else joy. Can't be done. Can't be done. There is nothing on this planet. Now, you could buy something that will make me happy, but you can't buy me something that will give me joy because Jesus says that only he can bring joy. And and listen to me, beloved. You know what most of our problem is? I'm going way off script here, okay? Most of our problem, Ephesians, y'all remember that Ephesians where God says to put on armor? And you know what our problem is? We put on our armor when the Word says put on the armor of God. Okay? It is God's battle armor that we're supposed to be putting on in the morning. It is God's battle armor. And Jesus says it is His joy. Now, when did He say this? Now, my Bible students know in John 15, we're we're, we're closing closing in on it. Okay? John 17 is is the high priestly prayer, which is Gethsemane. Okay? So Jesus is less than 24 hours away from being brutally murdered. And he says, listen, boys, I've got joy. I've got joy in my heart because ain't nothing the enemy's going to do to me tomorrow that's going to thwart the plan of God. They're going to hang me up on a cross. They're going to hang me up on a cross. They're going to say the meanest, most vile things against me. But, oh, fellas, let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And when Sunday comes, I'm going to come up out of that grave and then we'll see what God is is going to do. What God's plan was all along. Verses 2 through 8. God is looking back. And He says that He's got to have a dispute. And here's something that ought to scare us to death. The end of verse 2. He will repay him according to his deed. Show of hands. Who wants to sign up for that? Okay, Who wants to sign up for God giving us what we deserve? Who wants to sign up for God giving us what we have earned? Oh, you know, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. See, God is saying, I'm going to give to them what they deserve, and more than that, what they desire. They have desired to be done with me. And so I'm going to repay him according to his deeds. Do you understand that none of us will get more punishment than we deserve, but on the other side of that coin, we're not going to get less than what we deserve if we don't have Jesus to take that punishment for us. See, beloved, God says that if you will try, if you will repent, then He will give to you His presence, 
and his joy. And we need to understand that God's justice will be perfect. Paul lays it out for us in Romans 2, 5 through 11. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Do you understand what happens if you don't repent? God says, you know, you're storing up wrath. You're storing up wrath. How many of y'all got a, a thing at home that, you know, it, it, it drives Angie crazy sometimes because the only time I've got silver, I, I hardly ever use cash anymore, but the only time I've got silver on me is if I went to a store and paid for something with cash and they gave me silver back. And I carry it in my pocket long enough to get home, and as soon as I get home, I put it in a little thing. And then we use that for Bible school. Hello? Okay? We use that as part of the Bible school ministry. But do you understand that if we have a stubborn heart and an unrepenting heart, that just like you're putting silver in that bucket every day, you are storing up wrath for yourself when God comes who will render to each person according to his deeds. Listen, do you understand what I'd be saying if I was here this morning and didn't have Jesus as my Lord and my Savior? I'd be, I'd be praying right now saying, God, how can I get out of verse 6? How can I get out of verse 6? Because I understand. I understand from what little I know about the Bible that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that because of that, I have to die. Lord, is there any way out of this? And he would tell us, yes. Keep on going. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. See, in his strength, Jacob thought that he could struggle with God. I said in his strength, he thought, he could struggle with God or outwit God or out-wrestle God. He's referring back to Genesis 32, 24 through 30. Jacob refused to submit to God, so God demanded submission from him in a literal wrestling match. And Hosea emphasizes two details from that account. First, he told us that Jacob prevailed in the wrestling match. And second, he told us that Jacob wept in the struggle. Jacob prevailed in the only way anyone can when they struggle against God. We prevail, listen to me, beloved. We prevail when we lose and we know it. Hello? We win when we recognize that our struggle against God is pointless and futile and we know it, and we come to God in tears and say, God, I repent. Jacob faced a crisis, and he turned to God. He turned to God. Jacob shows us repentance. 
If we're walking in the sinful ways of this world, we must repent of our sin and turn back to God. And when we face that inevitable day of death, He will transfer us into the very presence or into His very presence to live eternally with Him. Peter said in Acts 2.38, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we understand in Galatians 5 what all that includes. In, in, in Acts 3, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you understand what it feels like to come into the face of your judge and him to say, your sins are forgiven. I've wiped them away. I've taken them on myself. And you are accounted as righteous. And you can breathe that breath of fresh air. Verses 9 through 10. God condemned the people of Israel, but His condemnation was not His last word. Verse 11, God's coming judgment should stir them to repent. But they're not. Verses 12 and 13. God's blessing of others should stir us to repentance. You know what happens though, beloved? You know what happens an awful lot of time? I'm glad that we've gotten over this or that we don't do this in this community. But I've been in communities where if God's hand was on one church, all the other churches in that community were jealous. Okay? They didn't like it. They didn't like that that one church was growing or that, or that God was doing something in that church. But you know what? When we see God blessing others, it's a blessing to us as well. And it should stir us to repentance. For years, Jacob lived a life of extreme hardship. His own father-in-law deceived him and made him pay an exorbitant price for the wife that he desired. But God blessed him. God blessed him. And Jacob had finally learned what Jesus would come and say in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom. I mean, there's no simpler way to say it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, in other words, I'm not worried about all of the things of this world. What I'm worried about is seeking God's kingdom and seeking God's righteousness because I know that as I do that, God is going to give the things that I need to me in my life. Philippians 4.19, Paul tells us, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know, when I was a young man, I used to like to fly, play a lot of the flight games, you know, flight combat games. And you know what's really cool about the, those flight combat games? You never run out of bullets, okay? You never run out of bullets. You never run out of ammunition, okay? And so you can go up there and fly and just shoot at anything that moves, okay, because you're playing in the game and you're never going to run out of ammo. God says, you come to me, and I will never run out of what you need in His glory in Christ Jesus. Come to Him. 
Verse 14, God's anger and wrath against sin should arouse people to repent. You notice, you notice what, I, what I didn't say? That it ought to arouse pagans to repent. Who's the Bible written to, beloved? It's not written to pagans. It's written to God's people. It's written to God's people. It's written, listen to me, it's written to people that ought to know better. All right? It's written to people that say we do know better. And God says, I need you to repent. But instead of repenting, they continue to live in evil. We need to understand that God warns us if we continue to sin and reject Him, He will repay us by giving us exactly what we desire and what we deserve, and that is death and eternal separation from Him. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. Listen to me, believer. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. God ends the chapter by saying He's going to leave their blood guilt on them and bring back their reproach. Nahum 1.6 says, Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the burning of His anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by Him. So listen to me, beloved. Will we pour out our hearts in confession? Will we come to God and say, listen, we, we, we've tried to live like, like Jacob in the Old Testament for so long. But we need to have that Bethel experience. We need to have that experience where we come to God in repentance. And we take upon us the, 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 the yoke of Jesus that He says is easy and light. And we allow Him to give us a joy transplant this morning because that, beloved, is repentance.